0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. How many of you are feeling the Christmas uh, season already? How many of you still haven't got there yet? Are you like me? You're like me. Some people get their Christmas started uh, they jump-started with Black Friday. That's never been my deal. We we did that a few times, and I'm like, Lord, deliver me from this mass of people. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I don't even like going to Walmart or Sam's on a Saturday because you take your life in your own hands. You better make sure your insurance is up to date if you go to one of these places. Some people, the lights, it's the lights. Um, it's the trees and the decorations. Uh, for some people, it's the cooking. And Troy said, "Amen, praise God." <laughs> all of the all of the pumpkin breads and the the extra stuff. Now I'll just tell you this: there is a lady in our church who has cooked a few loaves of bread for Shannon and I, and uh, she's on my naughty list because I'm trying to stay away from the carbs and the bread, but it's hard to stay away from it when it's that good. And so we just eat it anyway. For some people, it's it's the family plans and all the traditions you begin. But in the Scriptures, the New Testament actually shows us where the Christmas story begins. It tells us exactly how things get started. And strangely enough, if you look in the Bible, we celebrate this major holiday, Christmas. When you look in the Bible, of all of the hundreds and hundreds of chapters that are found in the Bible, there are only four chapters that are dedicated to the Christmas story. Isn't that amazing? Of all of the the celebration and the things we do, only four chapters Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and Luke chapter 1 and 2. John doesn't even include that, and Mark doesn't even. Mark just jumps into Jesus' ministry. He skips the first 30 years of Jesus' life, and he just jumps in, and and there you go. But there's only four chapters dedicated, and today we're going to look at a lot of passages, so I want you to have your Bibles ready. In Luke chapter 2, Luke announces what really starts Christmas. And what I want you to see is that Luke, being a doctor, he he takes a very uh, non-theoretical approach. He's very uh, chronological in his writing, and he's very detailed and articulate. And so Luke begins this story that's not fictional. He begins with a a non-fictional account of the Christmas story, He doesn't begin with with, uh, once upon a time. He doesn't begin with a tale as old as time or or in a land far, far away. He begins the story that's historically accurate, that's scientifically and archaeologically undisputed. He begins a story about a man who claimed to be God, and it wasn't Jesus he was talking about. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The Christmas story actually begins with a story of a man who was born into this influential, wealthy, well-known, very very uh, upscale and powerful family. It begins with the story of a man who was born whose name was Octavius. Octavius was his name. He was four years old when his father passed away. And he was raised by his grandmother who happened to be the sister of a man named Julius Caesar. Young Octavius grew up in that household. He grew up in that home, very influential. And he idolized his great-uncle Julius. And when he was a teenager, he actually gathered a bunch of friends. And when Julius was off, Julius Caesar was off fighting battles and wars, he gathered his teenage buddies and they snuck onto the battle lines with his great-uncle Caesar. And Julius Caesar noticed this young man, Octavius, and he really thought... Fondly of this young man because he considered him to be just a a kid that, that could really go far. One of the other reasons why Julius Caesar really took this young Octavius under his wing is because Julius Caesar didn't have any sons that he thought were worthy to take the role of Caesar. And so at the age of 19, Julius Caesar named young Octavius his sole heir. It was also that same year that Julius Caesar was murdered, stabbed in the back. How many of you have heard that story in school? You see, Luke doesn't start with a fictional account of Jesus' birth. He starts with a non-fictional account that's historically accurate, that is indisputably uh, and archaeologically and scientifically being able to be proven by the entire world. So this young Octavius becomes part of the triumvirate. And along with Marcus Lepidus and Marcus Antony, they begin to rule the Roman Empire, the three of them. Well, it doesn't take long for young Octavius to outsmart and overpower Marcus Lepidus, and he's kind of disposed of. And then Octavius challenges Mark Antony and his lover Cleopatra And in the battle of Antium, he defeats them. And in that day, in 31 BC, young Octavius becomes the ruler of the entire Roman Empire and the first emperor of Rome. As he began to reign, he didn't like the word Octavius because it didn't ring well. Caesar Octavius didn't sound good, so he chose another name. He chose a name and he told his people to call him Augustus. They said, he said, call me Augustus. Augustus is a Latin word that, is, that means sacred or holy. It, it's a word that means revered. And it was used to talk about religious items or religious or religious people or even gods. And in that moment, he, said, he declared himself Caesar Augustus, implying that he was the, the supreme power over all of mankind. And it inspired a cult, a cult called emperor worship, that, that Caesar Augustus said, Look, I am the true God. Worship me. That is where the Christmas story starts. That's where Luke begins in chapter 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus. It's funny how this wealthy, all-powerful, self-declared God, ruling and reigning, demands that his empire uh, follow every order. One of the orders that he made... As you see in this story, he wanted to know how many people were actually in his empire. He wanted to know the extent of his empire. So he said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a census. And every person in my, under my authority in the empire is to travel to their hometown, to their home place where they were born, where their family originated, and go there and register so that I can know how big my kingdom is. It's in the middle of this man who declares himself to be God. It's in the middle of this wealthy, influential, all-powerful man that the Christmas story crosses paths with a simple, unassuming, non-influential man from a little know-nothing, non-assuming town called Nazareth. His name is Joseph. Look at verse 4 of Luke chapter 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee and to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He is doing what this self-declared God in Rome has told him to do. He didn't have a choice. He made the, tra- the, 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 the travel. He made the trip because that's what he was forced to do. He went there to register, verse 5, with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. It's in the middle of this scene. The middle of all this that's going on, the one man that claims to be God, that claims all-powerful, it's in the middle of that, in the Roman Empire, that the God of heaven and earth begins to write His Christmas story. It's where He sends the real King into a non-assuming, uninfluential place in a non-assuming, uninfluential family and He lays Him in a non-assuming place called Bethlehem in a stable. What's amazing is that 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah had written the foreword to this Christmas story. In Micah chapter 3, verse 2, the scripture says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. God begins to write this story. The forward long before Caesar Augustus ever said, hey, you have to go to Bethlehem. Hey, I don't care who you are. Joseph, you non-assuming guy, you uninfluential guy, you do what I tell you to do, you've got to go to Bethlehem. It was God writing this story long before Caesar Augustus ever made a decree that a census should be taken. You see, no matter how damaged the world is, no matter how chaotic things are, no matter what government is in control, God is working out His plan in our lives. Long before any decrees or any laws are passed, before any days or the calendar gets turned, God is working His plan out in your life this morning. Long before you arrived into this church this morning, God has already ordained for you to be here. He's working out His plan in your life for you to hear what He is saying to you today. There's no coincidences for anybody who was sitting in this room this morning. God has, has caused you to be here today so that you could hear His Word and so that you could hear His truth and that, so that you could make a decision whether to follow Him or not. You see, that's the big picture of God's plan. But let's take a, a more focused look. Look at the small picture, not of God's plan, but of God's man. Look in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. I want to focus my attention this morning, the next few moments on the man Joseph. Verse 18 says this, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother was pledged his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now in a Jewish in a Jewish wedding or in a Jewish relationship there are three stages. There is the betrothal or the engagement period, I'm sorry, there's the engagement period where the parents decide, hey, you're going to marry him and and she's going to marry you. How many of you young people wish it was like that today? No hands in the room. I didn't think so. You want mom and dad choosing your, choosing your future husband or wife? Yeah, that wouldn't go over in my house. Then there's the betrothal. And the betrothal is actually where they, they become they They 're considered married, but they 're not intimate. There is no relationship between them, but they 're considered married, and it usually lasts about an year a, a year and, and and That is what the bible when, when you see the illustration of being married and waiting on the waiting on the bridegroom, waiting on the groom to come take the bride that is the the stage of Jewish relationship that they 're talking about because they didn 't know you 're my wife. And when I get everything set up at at the house that we're going to live in, I'm going to come and get you and we're going to start the marriage celebration. Then you have the marriage. And so it was this woman, Mary, who was pledged to be married to Joseph. They were in this betrothal stage. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph is one of my favorite biblical characters. I put him up there with Abraham and Moses and all those guys. We venerate Mary. I'm telling you, Joseph... He was, a, he was a righteous man, just as the word says. But you know his original plan? What was it? I'm gonna divorce her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it quietly. I'm gonna do it in a nice way. I'm not gonna do it publicly. But my original plan, I'm walking. I'm out. This is this is more, this is more than I than I bargained for. I didn't sign up for this. As we look at Joseph this morning, here's what I want you to think about. This is not the way Joseph wanted to go home. He was sent Bethlehem by Caesar Augustus. Last year, Shannon and I, we went to my 30-year high school reunion. Yeah, I know. I know. You're thinking, how can he be out of school that long? Really? 30 years. And you go back and you and you expect to see people the way they were, right? And then when you show up, you see them as they are. Some of you have gone back to your high school reunions and what do you do? You go on a crash diet. You go get your hair done. You go buy new clothes. You want to walk in, you know, and you want to impress. You've got your kids' pictures in your phone, you know, ready to show them. You want You want to show up and you want to impress everybody in your hometown. It's kind of like... When you go to the homecoming football game, Joseph wants to show up to the homecoming football game. Hey, there's Joe. Hey, hey, how are you? Good to see you, Joe. And he's he's wanting it to be, hey, man, haifa. Hey, let me introduce you to my, to my uh fiance, Mary. This is not how he had planned going home. This wasn't the homecoming Joseph was really looking for. When he knew he had to go back home, this wasn't the idea. When you consider Joseph's perspective, you wonder what he might have went through. You you wonder what he might have thought. I mean, he rolls up into his hometown with a pregnant fiance and some stories about angels. And really, it was hard to get behind it. Everyone looks at Mary as she walks in front of the stands at the homecoming football game that night, and they assume they know exactly what's going on. I mean, how do you explain that? What do you even say? Well, she's a virgin, they're angels. You know what's amazing about the story of Joseph? There's not one line that's quoted of him. In all of Scripture, his voice is silent. His original plan, I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I can't handle this. In every nativity scene that you have, we don't have one, they're out front. In every nativity scene, you have all the characters. You've got Mary. You've got baby Jesus. You've got the shepherds. You've got the wise men with all the cool gifts. You've got angels and all kinds of fun stuff. But how many times in a kid's nativity production do kids stand up? I want to be Joseph. No. What do you do? You walk by Mary, and then you just stand there. What he wanted to be a celebration going home to Bethlehem turned into just be the secret that they could neither one share. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Because, see, they avoided the crowds. There's no speaking part here for Joseph. But they avoided the crowds. And I'll just tell you, the crowds avoided them. Luke chapter 2 gives us a little bit more insight. It says that while they were there in Bethlehem, in his hometown, right? Going home. People know him. People are familiar. Hey, it's Joseph. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She was She wrapped him in cloth, placed him in a manger because why? Because there was no room for him in the inn. You've heard that preached before, I'm sure. But the first question you need to ask this is, wait a second. I thought you said he was in his hometown. Now, in a hometown, you're going to have relatives, at least cousins, somewhere around there. And in that culture, it was mandatory for anybody who was Passing through, it was mandatory for you to give to give lodging or to give room to someone, especially if it was your family member. You ever thought about that? He's in his hometown. He's not in some strange place. He's in a hometown. This is Joseph's place. He grew up here. This is my. This is where I was raised. Yet nobody in their own family offered. not even people in the public, when they got to the end, they knew the story. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I know who you are. Sorry. No room. Can you imagine what that felt like as a man with a pregnant wife about to give birth in a stall? And I thought we were supposed to take care of our families, right? Can you imagine what that felt like for Joseph just to... To have to settle for, oh, you know, we got this stable or this cave, whatever it might have been, and, you know, here's a trough I found, just lay the baby right here. People didn't want any part of, of Joseph. How did he get through this, is my question. My question is how did he do this? What changed his mind? What, what helped him? Why didn't he just walk? If you flip back and go back to Matthew chapter 1 and you look at verse 20, you'll know why. Those of you that know the story, you've read this. After he had considered this, considered what? Divorcing her and walking. After he said, you know what? This is too much. I can't handle this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Let me tell you, Joseph had an incredible encounter with the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord that changed everything about his life. It changed his plan as far as what his future looked like with Mary. It changed his plan as far as where he was going to live. It changed his plan as far as what he was going to do. It changed everything. Can I just tell you, friends, when you have a true encounter with the Lord, it will change everything about your life. Don't tell me that you got saved and you live and act and talk and do the same exact things that you did the day before. When you come and have an encounter with the Lord, you change. He changes you. And if you haven't had that change happen in your life, you need to find yourself on your knees and say, Oh God, truly change my life. I give up my old life and I give it to you. That's a real encounter with God that transformed and changed Joseph's life. Look at verse 24. And so when Joseph woke up from this dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And look what he did. He gave him the name Jesus. Every nativity scene has Joseph just kind of standing there. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't have anything to announce, like the shepherds or the angels or the wise men. He doesn't have any big gifts. He's not a man of wealth, but Joseph is always standing there. He's in every nativity scene. Every nativity scene that you've ever seen has Joseph. You've got the baby Jesus, and Mary's right there, and Joseph standing over them both, like a guard on a tower, looking down, watching. It wasn't how he planned his life. It wasn't the kind of way that he wanted to open up his marriage. It wasn't the, the, the trough. It wasn't how he hoped that he would go when he went home. Because as he stood there, like in that nativity scene, he observed that child. He says, he doesn't really have my eyes. He doesn't carry my name. His name is Jesus. That's not a family name of mine. So much for Joseph and son's carpentry shop. But he stands there even so. He had all the opportunities to walk. But he stands there, tall and overlooking like the photobomber that gets into all of your pictures. He made his way into every picture of the nativity without saying a word. Joseph was a righteous man who stood there. Rather than walking away, he chose to walk alongside this pregnant woman who had been given the gift to carry the Savior of the world. When the time came for that Savior to be born, He didn't need to make a speech. He didn't have to announce anything. But He stood tall and strong. And He watched over that child. Kind of like the Father watches over our lives. Our Father in heaven watches over us. Sometimes in silence. Looking at us. Observing us. Making plans for us. That's what Joseph was. This morning I just want to make a few, pull out some principles from that story. I want us to learn something from Joseph's journey in his life. If you know the rest of the story, you know you thought, well, man, it should get easy for Joseph after that. I mean, Jesus was finally born. They made this trip to Bethlehem. But if you know the story, that's not where it ended. When he packs up all of Mary's bags and baby Jesus and he's ready to head back home, the Lord says, ah, you're not going home. It's dangerous. Herod's son's still there and he would probably, you know, there would be some trouble. So I want you to go to Egypt. Egypt was not the best place for a Jew to go. I mean, there was something about Pharaoh, you know, back in the past. Something about, you know, uh, 400 years, you know, of slavery. There wasn't a great reputation for the Jews, and they didn't have a great reputation, the Egyptians, for them either. They would look sideways because you, you you weren't from around here. And they spend time in Egypt, and then finally the Lord says, you can go back. And He ends back up in Nazareth. You see, the first thing I want you to see out of Joseph's life is... Is there in your notes? If God has a plan for my life, and if I have a plan for my life, someone has to change plans. If God has a plan for my life, and then I have my plan for my life, somebody has got to change plans. You see, God is a personal God, church. Listen, He's a personal God with a personal plan for your life. Young person, hear me. He is personal. That's why the encounter that, that Joseph had was so transformative because God personally came and visited him and began to share the plan that he had for him and God began to install that plan into Joseph's life. When I was in high school, and some of you know that story, I wanted there was nothing more. All the way through school, really, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a heart surgeon. I, that's what, that was my goal, a cardiologist. That was, that was the end game for me. You could ask my parents. Since I was young, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a heart surgeon. I had enrolled University of Oklahoma. I was all set. And then all of a sudden, God changed my plans. I'll never forget that Sunday night when I was wedged in between the communion table and the steps that were next to the communion table. And I wept because for that 30 minutes... I changed plans. Can I tell you, you may have a plan for your life, and when God says, Look, this is my plan for you, it's not going to be real easy for you to just discard. Okay, let's go. You'll wrestle. You'll struggle. You'll say, God, but what about this? And what about that? And He says, You have to trust me because I'm faithful hear me. Somebody needs to hear that. You need to know that God is faithful and you can trust him with your life. And I wept and cried right there and I gave it all to God. And I'll never forget. I told my dad, I said, look, I said, go ahead and cancel everything. You know, you know, I'd already met with the medical team. It was, it was all a roll. I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Bible school. I'll never forget. My dad's jaw hit the floor. Like you're what? I said yeah. I said God has a plan. I have my plan, so I'm changing my plan. I'm changing my plan because I know that the Lord's way is going to be perfect for me. It's not going to be easy, but it will be perfect. I want you to imagine Joseph. What would have happened if he would have kept his plan? If I would have kept my plan, I wouldn't be married to this beautiful, lovely woman on the front row. I wouldn't have the three kids that I have. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you, sharing my heart and giving and distributing the truth to you. I wouldn't be here. I'd be who knows where. But God had a plan. And we ended up here. And you can look at your life and you say, well, what if, what if, what if? The only safe play is always follow His plan. Proverbs twenty. 19, 21, 19, says, many are the plans in the man's heart, but it's God's purpose that prevails. Let all your plans come to nothing, but let God's purpose be fulfilled in your life. And I'll promise you, you will never regret it. What if Joseph would have walked out? What if he would have said, you know what, I, I'm not in this. I can't do this. I don't know. That's bigger than my mind can, can even figure out. I'm so thankful that he said, I'll give up my plan for the sake of yours, Lord. He didn't know what all was coming. I mean, Joseph and Mary, they got little bits of of details, but they didn't have a whole lot. Not everybody in the family thought that this whole Jesus thing was all great from the get-go. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus was casting out devils and healing the sick. And his family shows up and they say, oh man, he's lost his mind. Now, the Bible just says family. It doesn't include details, but it could have been Mary and it could have been James and Jude and and, and all the other guys. It could have been Joseph. Yeah, this is my crazy son. We don't know. They didn't have all the details. They couldn't see it, and then you step on over where where the Bible describes where one time Joseph and Mary they lose Jesus. He's twelve years old. The crowd of, of Jerusalem they'd been there for the sacrifice and the feast, and they lose him in the crowd of all these people. They're on their way home, and then they realize, "Hey, where's Jesus?" Anybody ever done that? I've done that at Walmart. Hey, where's our kids? Ah, oh, there we left That's all right. Well, somebody's hand is like somebody's going to take him. I was like, "Nah, they'd bring him back." they bring them back. They'd find the rightful owners of those kids. Nuns. Jesus is lost. And where do they find him? In the temple. Here's what I want you to catch on that story. Joseph didn't have all the details. And when they finally catch him, what is Jesus' response when they say, Hey, you've been looking for me? What does he say? He says, Shouldn't you have known that I would have been about my what if you're Joseph and you hear that? Oh, I forgot. I'm not your father. Well, that hits. That hits. We read through that glassy and we say, oh, about my father. Oh, yes, about the father's business. What about Joseph standing there and he hears it? Oh, yeah. I'm once again reminded. I'm not your father. But I'm still here. I didn't walk. I had a chance to walk on your mother, but I didn't because God had another plan. And I don't have all the details, but I know that if I'll stay faithful to this plan, it's going to benefit a lot of people. See, God has plans, and you have plans, but somebody's got to change their plans if you want to see the blessings and the faithfulness of the Lord. It wasn't always easy to follow God's plan. To be honest, I know that God picked Mary for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the main reasons He picked her is because there was a righteous man named Joseph who was willing to say, not my will, but yours. Second thing that I want us to see out of the life of Joseph is this, is that God speaks even clearer today than He did then. God speaks even clearer today than He did then. I mean, they had angels visiting them. They had angels talking to them. They had dreams that God told them. They, this is what you're supposed to do. And some of you are in this room. You're just like, "Well, if I saw an angel and He told me to do this, I'll guarantee you, I'd go do it." No, you wouldn't. <laughs> if I had a dream and God showed up and said, "You go down, to, you go down to Houston. You live down there," you wouldn't go you'd wake up and say, man, what kind of pizza did I eat last night? That's exactly what you would do. It's exactly what you say. say. Ah, if I could just see it. We try to explain when God even speaks to us, we try to explain it away. When God heals our bodies or does something amazing, we explain it away and give credit to all the doctors. Come on. When God provides for us on the job and we get a raise or we get whatever, we just say, well, praise God, the economy's doing well and the company's doing really good. Got a bonus this year. How do you know what God's plan has been for a long time? Planning for that moment just when you needed it. We explain things away just like like we would try to do if that happened to us. But God is clearer today than He has ever been. He was clearer than He was then. The Bible says, it tells us, Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. Because if you really wanted to know God and know what He desired from your life, then you would take this book right here that has pages, words that are printed on them, and you would read it and you wouldn't wait for an angel to come tell you what God wants to say to you. You would use what He has already given you. In this church, I teach the Bible every week. Whether it's Wednesday night or whether it's on Sunday morning. I take that very serious. I'm not here to build an organization. My purpose is not here to grow a church. That's not my role as a pastor. As a pastor, my role is to teach the truth of God's Word and to equip you for works of service. In other words, to teach you how to grow in this so that you can show it out there. To grow and show. I take that very serious because, let me tell you something, I can tell you a bunch of opinions or we can do some kind of great entertainment show up here we can have all kinds of props and I can do funny stuff and I can do all kinds of entertaining things and I'll promise you I can give you a, a, a spoonful of Bible and, and, and an overdose of opinions and funny cliches and good Christian you know, thoughts and positive attitudes that you can walk out. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of churches, that's their focus. But when you boil it all down, none of that stands. Because the only thing that's going to stand when all the wood, hay, and stubble is burned up is going to be the Word of God because it will never, ever, ever cease to be God's Word. And so if you want to know the clear voice of God, you've got to understand that He is speaking and He already speaks. God's Word is so clear. It exposes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts, attitudes of the heart. If you're trying to figure out your emotions, if you're trying to figure out what somebody else is really thinking, you can't be a mind reader, but you can go to God's Word and His Word will help you to understand. It will expose everything inside of you and it will expose everything around you. God's Word sanctifies because John 17, 17 says them by your truth your word is truth if you want to grow how to become more like the Lord allow his word to get deeper into your life it's God's word that guides Psalm 119 says your lamp is a light unto my feet and your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path it guides you it shows you where to take the next step what am I supposed to do with my life God what's my plan what's your plan right here God's Word defeats the enemy. Because in Ephesians, He said, take the helmet of salvation and don't forget the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's easier to know what God desires of you today than it was for Joseph. He didn't have anything to go on except for a dream. And he wasn't taking notes during that dream. He didn't have anything to hold on to. We've got the word. Somebody said, you know, I just want to hear God speak. And I tell him, look, read your Bible. No, I want God to speak audibly. I said, well, read it out loud. Joseph had the word of an angel in a dream. We have a written anthology of God's will for our life right in front of us. That sadly collects dust or gets ignored on our phone. Oh, I've got a Bible app on my phone. Yeah, but you're still playing Angry Birds and you're not using your Bible. (laughs) Or whatever they do. You're feeding your cows. Whatever that whatever that app is. I'm not picking up that's just the only one I could think of. Some of y'all probably have that app, you're feeding your cows probably during church. Feeding your little animals. Feed your soul. The third thing is this. Some of y'all had to close your phone right now. Did he see something? Did he see that? Saw me feeding my cows. <laughs> Third thing is this: you want you to see out of Joseph's life. Tomorrow's guidance starts with today's obedience. Next year, if I were to say, "Hey, who wants blessing?" Who wants favor? Who wants guidance? Who wants protection next year? Is there not one person in this room? Or everybody? They're always right here. Send that my way. Tomorrow's guidance starts with today's obedience. God doesn't just come along to bless our plans. God comes along to change our plans. Jesus didn't show up, live, live and die and go to the cross and be resurrected so that He could bless your plans. He came so that He could invite you to be a part of His plan. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to bless your plan. He came to invite you to be a part of His plan. See, Joseph, he didn't see what Jesus was going to teach and yet he did that. He didn't know blessed are the peacemakers. He had never heard that. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Man, Joseph, if there was anybody that should have heard that, old Joe should have heard that. But he wasn't the average Joe. He was living that. God helped him before he even heard his son speak it. If you want God's blessing, you have to be willing to follow him today so that He can bless you tomorrow. Let me wrap up just with a few thoughts. Christmas, recognizing why we celebrate Christmas, Joseph's story helps me to see that Christmas is an invitation for all people. The angels announced that they said, look, this joy is for all. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, Jesus doesn't discriminate, and I'm so thankful that He doesn't. Because if He did, there'd be very few of us that He would have ever picked. I don't know if you were ever that one on the playground that you'd line up, and they'd try to decide who was going to be on the teams, and you were one of the last ones to get chosen. That's an awkward feeling, right? Well, you know, He's strong. He's tall. Man, she's fast. Yeah, she can make that. She she can kick the ball really hard. He can do it. You're just standing there, you know, acting like you're not paying attention with your foot kind of kicking around in the dirt. Just hoping somebody will make that choice. Yeah, I'll take you. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. I'm so thankful for God's grace. He doesn't measure me according to all of my failures. He measures me according to the grace that came upon me when Jesus gave his life for me. He didn't come here in this world to look for the influencers and the perfect. He came to look for the humble and those who would say, my plan was no good. I'll take yours. I don't know if you're here today and you need to hear that, but I want you to know. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. His grace is enough. And He forgives everyone who asks. The second thing you need to realize is that it's a daily choice. You think about Joseph. It started with Mary coming and saying, Hey, I got something to tell you. What? That was a good opportunity right there to walk, right? We've got to go where? To Bethlehem? Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. No, I'm out. That's another good opportunity to walk. No room. We don't have any room. Can't stay here. There's another good opportunity for Joseph to say, I'm out. You know what kept Joseph putting one foot in front of the other? You know what kept Joseph standing there silent, never asked to say a word, never, never had a book written about him. He was never sainted. You don't hear a whole lot about Saint Joseph. He just stood there. He had every opportunity to walk. You know what made him stay? A daily choice. A daily decision. He woke up every day and he said, Not my will, but yours. Not my, but yours. I'm doing this for you, Lord. It's not about me. It's not about me. There's something going on that's bigger than me. It's about you, oh God. And I've given it all to you. I'm putting it all in your... I pushed all the chips to the center of the table. It's all you, oh God. And he made a choice daily, every day, to follow. In Luke chapter 9, you see the disciples, they're having this discussion saying, Hey, who's going to be number one, number two? Who's going to sit closest to you? I'm going to be number one and let let, uh, James be number two. Or we're brothers. I mean, we can swap it off. It doesn't matter. But let us be. And what does Jesus say? Jesus replies with these words, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is a daily decision. Can I just tell you, the cross was not given to Jesus or to us in order to teach us a lesson. The cross was given to kill. You don't learn lessons on a cross. You die on a cross. We're going to nail you up there. I hope you learn your lesson. And when we pull you down later, you will act a lot differently. No, 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 no. The cross kills you. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me and learn a few lessons. He said, follow me and die. The cross doesn't teach lessons. The cross kills. And the only way that you can follow Jesus is every day. You have to get and stay on that cross I've heard a preacher, you get up there and you come down. No, you don't get up there. You die up there and you stay there. Lord, it's not my life. I'm about your plan. It's not my plan. It's your plan. Lord, teach me and show me and let me live. Not as me, but as Christ who lives in me. And so you make that choice every day. Joseph, Joseph chose every day. And then finally... Joseph's life shows us that it's about a calling that's not necessarily about comfort. Man, I could think of a lot of different ways that Joseph could have lived his life and it would have been a whole lot more comfortable, right? That he wouldn't have had to care for this young woman that's pregnant. That he wouldn't have to care for a son or raise a son or or provide for a son that wasn't even his that he wouldn't have had to listen to all the whispers and the, and the talking that was going on behind his back. Yeah, that's Joseph. I mean, his wife's pregnant. You know, they're not married yet. There's a lot of different ways, but what happened was that God spoke to him and God called him. He didn't choose the comfortable way, he chose the calling that God had put upon his life. Christmas helps us to realize that he came to us and he asks for all of us. Jesus is about this Christmas is about this Daniel if you wouldn't mind coming it's that Jesus is still calling he's calling today he's calling you today some of you showed up here today thinking it was random no the Lord's calling you here's what I want you to hear the Lord wants to have a conversation with some of you, and you've been so busy doing so much other things. He's, he wouldn't have had a chance to even give you a dream. You're so busy doing so many other things. He wants to have a conversation. He is calling to you today. Listen. Listen, he's, he's speaking to your heart. He's saying, hey, he's telling the truth. The Holy Spirit right now is talking to you and He's saying, you know, it's a daily thing. And you've gotten away from that. The Holy Spirit's telling some of you, He's saying, yeah, you've tried your plan. It hasn't worked. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to let His plan be your plan. You need to die to yourself. The Holy Spirit's saying that to some of you right now. Why? Because He's active. He's working right now in your heart. Because wherever the truth is presented, the Holy Spirit is there working. He's the one who guides us into all truth. So as we close the service this morning, I want you to have that conversation with the Lord. I want you to have a conversation with Him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. We've got a few moments left. If you would like to make your way to an altar, I invite you to come. And Neil, if you want to just have a private conversation with the Lord, I want you to do that. Because I know that the Lord is still calling. That's what, that's what happened in Joseph's life. It won't be comfortable because it's uncomfortable when Jesus calls. You know why? Because he sees everything about you. He knows all the mess ups and the failures and the mistakes and the sin. He sees it. And when you come to him, he can see right through, through every word, every, every, everything. He sees it all. But he wants to still have a conversation with you. And at the end of that conversation, if you'll say, Lord... I surrender. I'm yours. He'll change your life. God took this non assuming, uninfluential man in the time of this great man who declared to be God, and he made him without a voice stand in the middle of that nativity scene for every generation to remind us that His plan is perfect. And when He calls, He's faithful to fulfill it. Would you stand with me this morning? As I pray, let's take a few moments. If you'd like to come, and I want you to be very reverent. If you'd like to come, I want you to come. I'll meet you down here if you want to pray at the altar. I'd love for you to just do that. Let's take a few moments. Kneel before him. Let's don't head off, run away rule too quickly. I want just for the next few moments for you to be very, just very open to the voice of God. As I pray, if you'd like to come, I want you to come this morning. Father, I thank you. that Lord, you said that you would receive us, as many as those who are called. Lord, you would accept us. So Lord, today I pray, as we have, Lord, opened your word and as we have seen, Lord, the light and named Joseph. Father, you would help us to see how much you truly care about us. Lord, I pray for those this morning, oh God, that are struggling, Lord, with guidance, direction in their own life. I pray that, Father, today that, Lord, that you would begin to speak. Let them take your word, Lord, and May they begin to open it up and let the Holy Spirit begin to have that conversation with their life. Father, I pray that there are those, Lord God, who are who are, Lord, they're off of your plan. They're trying to do life their own way. Father, bring them back to you. Let them hear your voice today. Let them hear you calling them. Let them, Lord, respond, Lord. And may they, Lord God, surrender. Just like Joseph did. He yielded Himself to Your hands. And You made Him, Lord, part of a great story. I pray that, Father, that You would help us today to respond to You as You call us. We honor You today. We honor You today. Sing this with me. And I surrender I'll say it. I surrender all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Let's sing it one more time. Come on, before we go. Sing, I oh, for today we thank you for your word and the time of worship that we have had i thank you for everyone who is here today i pray that god that your word would not return void but lord it would grow lord god in faith and everyone's everyone's life lord may we surrender our hearts to you make you the lord and the savior of our life especially in this season lord may we be, rem- be reminded of your calling to us we honor you and we praise you. Bless us as we go today as we are dismissed from this place. Keep us and guard us. Touch those, Lord, who were not able to make it. Continue, Lord, to heal the sick, Lord. Continue, Lord, to provide for those in need. Lord, may we continue to lift your name up and glorify you as a God who is great and faithful. We ask these things in your honorable name, in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. Hug somebody's neck before you go. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you are blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.